Well, folks, welcome to the Noble Man Podcast, episode number 56. And uh, my friend Patrick Morley, who wrote Man in the Mirror and launched the Man in the Mirror ministry some years ago, is with us again. You know, it's been fun. Many of you have commented about the impact of his time with us on the podcast previously. He was with us on episode 43, I believe. And, and Pat, um, your description of the holy moment when a man brings his family and reaches for the door of the local church to, to go in and experience what ha- God has for him is something that a number of folks have spoken to me about directly, about the impact that that had on them as they listened to that. So thanks for being a champion for helping us encourage men to walk with Jesus. Well, it's really an honor, Mike. I know that you are trying to speak into the lives of faithful men. And uh, men, if you're listening, you know, when Jesus was with his disciples and looked on the crowds and saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, uh, he he was sickened by their depravity, right? Well, actually, (laughs) the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, The Bible says he had compassion on them. Mm -hmm. So when these uh, men that you are trying to help and that we are trying to help when we see them, Jesus said he didn't he did not say that the harvest is small, but the workers are many. He said the problem is, is that the, the harvest is plentiful, but they're not enough of us to do the work. So thank you men who are listening for being those faithful men to do the work. And uh, I hope you continue. Here's my prayer. I hope you continue to ache for the harvest. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Aching for the harvest. Yeah. That's a... That's a beautiful and painful challenge, isn't it, for us to, to want to do this so desperately that there's there's uh, discomfort in the not doing it, I think. Yeah. And so that's what we want. Well, listen, you have written a bunch of books. I don't even know the number. You may have forgotten the number, You, but you may know. How many is it? It's 22. 22. Okay. <laughs> so The Man in the Mirror was the first one, and that has blessed me and, and small groups that I've been part of as we, uh, as we wrestle with that. But your latest book is, um, is this one, The Four Voices. And so tell me about how you journeyed through all those other books and get to this place where you write about the voices that are kind of rattling around inside men's heads. Well, thank you, Mike, and thank you for having me on today. It's such an honor to be with you. I've loved you from the moment I first met you and have enjoyed so much watching God Bless Your Ministry. You have a a great ministry. You are Mm -hmm. a lion in men's discipleship. You are a leader of leaders. You've been the president of the National Coalition of Ministries of Men. I mean, you're a rock star in men's discipleship. <laughs> the problem is, is that your family probably doesn't know that. <laughs> so, oh, here goes Mike. <laughs> yeah, I'm not feeling like a rock star most of the time. I yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. So that's the way it is. So we pick up our shovel and go get in the ditch and do our digging and, you know. <laughs> that's right. So the reason that um, I wanted to write this book, you know, I've been working with men for several decades. I love working with men. In fact, my real passion is working with men one-on-one. And I especially like working with guys that have a broken wing, uh, men that are bruised reeds, that have questions that, you know, I ache for the harvest and they ache to be harvested, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I love working with those men to help them find purpose and meaning through a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
and then to grow in that faith and to serve others. But here's what I also have found along the way that a lot of men who uh, would call themselves good Christians are still struggling with issues that you think would have resolved uh, years or even decades ago. So the Bible makes reference to four different voices that we have in our heads. So I wanted to write a book to help men take control of this conversation that's going on in their head and uh, to, to be able to basically live up to <laughs> not the expectations of somebody else, but themselves. Right. Yep. So, you know, I'm going to wander in some places here. You work with you work with a broad cross-section of men. Your Friday morning Bible study has been cranking for years, and it reaches broad audience, a global audience. As you, as you have looked at these voices and what men wrestle with, do you see a difference in how it affects younger men, older men, different demographics, or, or anything like that? Well, just before we came on air, Mike, you and I were talking about the difference between a demographic profile right. and a psychographic profile. And what I find is that there is a tremendous, um, let's just call it illusion that's being uh, developed narrative uh, in, in culture and, and adopted in Christian culture as well, that the generations are so different, you know, and all of this. I honestly, I would kind of like to get my hands on the person who first came up with the term boomer and millennial, right. and I'd like to sort of wring their neck <laughs> <laughs> because our, our, our similarities dwarf our differences. Very it's interesting. That's why, that's why a young man today, age 20, or a man today, age 80, or 60, or 40, or 15, can pick up the book of Ecclesiastes written 1,500 years ago and hear the words meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind, and go, aha, finally somebody understands what I'm feeling. So, no, they're really, uh, it's a psychographic profile that I've, I've written this, this book for. Guys, who want to be faithful, who want to finish strong, who yeah. have it in their hearts to do the right thing. You know, I, for our audience, we record these uh, using a Zoom platform. And, and so I wish you could have seen Pat's animation as he was talking about Ecclesiastes there. And man, I, we're going to have to talk about something that you're passionate about next time, Pat, and <laughs> see, if we can, see if we can get something stirred up in your heart here. So <laughs> Moderation is overrated. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, listen, so so these guys, everyone can relate to this idea of struggling in some way to find their way, to find truth um, in the midst of the craziness around them. So, so how would a guy benefit from reading this book? What kind of perspective is it going to bring to him and give to him as he wrestles through the cacophony of voices and noises around him. Okay, here's the big picture. Yeah. We all know that we have a running conversation with ourselves all day long. We call it self-talk and we need self-talk. Self-talk is how we fit the bits and pieces of everything that's coming at us into some sort of a congruent story that helps us make sense of our lives. However, 
we are not the only voice in the conversation. Right. There are four other voices exerting themselves continuously to influence what you and I think, say, and do. Those four voices are the world, the flesh, the devil, and the Holy Spirit. Your job is to figure out which voice is speaking and then make the adjustment. So I've written this book to help men figure out which voice is speaking at any particular time, all kinds of tools in the book to do. We can get into that later, but uh, all kinds of tools to, to help them do that in the book and then to take control of the conversation by walking in the power of, of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot at stake here. Yeah. So, so you say that there's a lot at stake here, this self-talk that's going on all the time. Um, you mentioned in the book, I, I, I read um, a portion of it, haven't, haven't read all of it. I'm looking forward to being able to do that. But there was a story that um, you recounted about a young guy who um, struggled with his dad. And his, his dad made comments about him, and he invited a friend over to his house. And, and before the friend left, the, the kid's dad said, I wish I had a son like him. And so right in front of this young man, just, just really cutting at him. And boy, I think about the number of men that I've met in my lifetime and that I've worked with in ministry, that there were shadows cast over their lives long ago by things that people said, experiences that they had. And the, the echoes of those voices continued to resonate in their head, even as adults. So there are probably people listening to this podcast who have those voices in their heads, that, and, and they just keep yelling at them untruths. How, how is a guy going, a guy who's re wrestling with those things, how is this going to help him discern where those voices come from, what their source is, and, and how to battle with them? Yeah, and to add to that, Mike, some of those men are the most godly men you and I have ever known, but they're still waking up in the middle of the night, and uh, the, the, the voice, say, maybe the voice of the devil is coming at them and uh, reminding them of something they did as a younger man. You don't really think you can be forgiven for that, do you? Yep. You're not, you're a fraud. You're not really the man that you're presenting yourself to be. Or, the, the, or, or it's the world that's saying, look at all the sacrifices you've made and what's it come to? <laughs> Jesus Christ alone is never going to be enough to make you happy. You, you really need to do something else with your life to be happy. Or the, the flesh is tempting you with the, the, the pride of life. Or the flesh is saying that, you know, well, whatever it is. So uh, these, these voices are real. I have them myself. I still have them myself. Uh, they can't see me, and if uh, if they did, they would uh, uh, know that I'm not a uh, a young guy anymore. I'm not even a middle-aged guy anymore. I'm a senior guy. I'm an older man, and I still I still struggle with all of these voices. Uh, yet I will say, and this is should be some encouragement, uh, that it's a fraction yeah, of what yeah. it used to be. It's kind of, guys, it's kind of like cutting a piece of string in half. You know, isn't it, it's a, it's a moment of joy when you have this big burst of growth and it's like cutting away half of the, the string, but guess what? You know, half, half of the string still left. Yeah. And so you just keep cutting.
cutting the string in half and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, but it's still there. Right. But so what I, what, what I want to do in this book is show men how they can keep cutting that piece of string in half. Boy, oh, I, I, should, I should write that one down. Yeah, you should, because that, that uh, boy, there's a great parallel to the half-life, radioactive half-life there for those of you who are oh, yeah. chemists or physicists, uh, physicists who think about those things. Um, hey, so, so the four voices, let's, let's back up and talk about the word, the flesh, and the devil, and yeah. then the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about those negative voices first. Just give us a, a quick synopsis of how each of those impacts us and what how they manifest themselves in our lives. Well, why don't we take them one at a time and then you can join in the conversation as well. Yeah. So we all know uh, about the world. Uh, the Well, actually, you know, I, I take that back. I think that's the problem. I don't think we all do know about the world, but we all know that there is a world out there. Uh, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow mm -hmm. and deceptive philosophy, which depends on... Uh, basic human traditions and the fundamental principles of this world rather than in Christ. So there are all of these ideas that are out there. Pascal, who is a favorite of mine, the uh, French uh, physicist, mathematician, and theologian, he once said that all men seek happiness. This is without exception. This is the motive of every action of every man even of those who go and hang themselves. Wow. And then to tease that out, he said, two men, imagine two men, there's a war. One signs up and goes off to war. The other decides to stay home. But both of them they did what they did because they thought that that's the course of action that would make them happy. Well, the world knows that all men want to be happy. Mm -hmm. And the basic core message of the world is Jesus Christ alone is not enough to make you happy. You need something else. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I see it. I see it in our world. And I see that that is part of what makes evangelism hard sometimes because the world fills our lives with wonderful, shiny, sparkly things, um, and it tells us that they're going to satisfy. So we move from one of those attractions to another and never get to the core issue that those things will not satisfy. There's always something else that promises happiness but can't deliver, and yeah. it just drags you further and further away. So those voices are out there telling us, we need a new boat or we need a new experience or we need a new whatever it is um, in order to make us happy. But ultimately, you chase enough of those around and hopefully we get to the point where we realize that those things will not satisfy. Is that the type of voice that you're talking about from the world that just keeps telling us we're not happy because we don't have X, but yet never delivers on that happiness, that true happiness. That's true. And by the way, and I have a little diagram in the book to show this, a little Venn diagram, <clears throat> for those of you who are familiar with such things, that uh, shows the overlap of these first three voices, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So there is an interaction. Sure. But in the book, what we want to do is talk about them, separate them out and talk about them individually Right. Uh, so that we can understand them individually, and then we know that they're going to meld back and work together with each other. Yeah. yeah. There's a compounded, I guess, impact when 
you get multiple of the voices, two or more of the voices speaking yeah. against you. Um, right. So you got the world on the one hand tempting yeah. you with the uh, all of these things and and you know saying if you really want to be happy, you need to own this watch. If you own this watch, right, then you will finally achieve everything you've been. I mean, I've actually seen watch ads that like that, yeah. <laughs> and you that's have exactly too. Right. I mean, everybody has. So that's the voice of the world. But then, you know, we have the voice of the flesh inside right. of us. And in the first John two, uh, it talks about uh, these the three dialects, if you will, of this particular voice, uh, the lust of the eyes, mm -hmm. the lust of the flesh and the pride of life or the blissful pride of life. So just take. Uh, Okay, now we have that watch in the world saying, hey, here, buy me, buy me, I'll make you happy. And right. what the lust of the eyes are saying, wow, I don't really think I can be happy unless I have that, you know? And so, right. you know, and then and then the devil's over here on the sidelines saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you do get the watch and you get to the pride of life and you're proud because you have it. And then when somebody else gets a better watch or a different watch or something, then your your ego is injured in that and so man the the voices just continue their uh their crazy talk in our heads so oh can right, i so, tell you a quick anecdote on that uh, do we have time for a quick anecdote oh, sure sure i mean so i had that watch actually i've had two of those watches but uh when i was in business i ended up uh, my wife and i went on a vacation and and uh, in order to justify it for myself i bought his and hers Rolex president watches, whatever they Very are. Very nice yeah. move to, to keep your wife from making the noise about that. Yeah, she could have cared less. She didn't want it. She didn't even know what it was, uh, but I did. And here's the thing. When I got back to the United States, I can remember specifically where I was. I was so embarrassed wearing this watch and so ashamed of uh, what I had done in the flesh that I ended up selling the watch. I ended up selling the watch and taking a loss. But, you know, what a bonehead move. But I just totally, I totally fell in to the voice of the world and the flesh. Yeah, and the yeah. flesh. So, all right, so the word, the flat, the world, the flesh, it, when we're dealing with the flesh, is that where we're wrestling with pornography, sexual addiction, uh, food, drugs, all of those things that we can be addicted to, to, to allow our stomachs or our bodies to become our gods? Yes. And uh, so, yes, the lust of the flesh. Of course, we usually think about sexual temptation, and that's a huge part of it. But then you've rightly talked about other uh, foods right. and the things that people get addicted to. But absolutely, those those are the, uh, the ingredients uh, that are included in this voice of the uh, voice of the uh, of the uh, flesh. flesh. Yeah. So then what, how does the devil speak to us? How is the devil unique um, compared to the world and the flesh? One day at our Friday morning Bible study, one of our men and I were talking. Uh, I don't think I used his name in the book. This is an illustration from the book. But anyway, his name is Fred. And he is a recovering drug addict. He's a former hard, hard drug heroin addict who has been in recovery for a long, long time now. Sure. So he was talking about his sins and he said, I just, you know, I'm able to forgive myself, 
but I, I, I know that God forgives me, but I just don't think I can forgive myself. I know that God forgives my sins, but I'm having a hard time forgiving my, myself. Yeah. And I sensed that it was the, the devil working him. So I said, okay, so let me ask you. So you believe that God has forgiven your sins? Yes? Oh, yeah, definitely. But you don't believe that you are able to forgive yourself. Is that correct? Correct? He said, yeah. So basically what you're saying is that you have a higher standard for forgiveness than God has. Is that right? And then the light bulb went off and he had this epiphany and now he moved on and he's free from that to move to the, the next stage of growth. The devil has, is, is, a, is a master of deceit, doubt, and despair. The, the devil is trying to destroy what God is trying to build and the devil uh, cannot uh, do anything to a man except make these uh, half-truth suggestions, these right. lies, these deceits. The right. devil can't put his finger on you without permission from God, but he, he's out there cackling uh, all the time when he gets you to think that, you know, something like, oh, you know, you're not good enough to be forgiven. Yeah. And boy, I, I can just imagine the guys listening to this, there, there's probably everyone in some way at some time has wrestled with this question of can I be forgiven for what I've done? Um, is God's grace sufficient for me in this particular circumstance? I mean, it's a, it's a universal challenge that, that we face. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the counter to these voices is the fourth voice. Right. And that voice is the voice of the Holy spirit. And so unpack how does the voice of the Holy Spirit come against these negative other voices to uh, to help bring us to ultimate truth? Yeah. Well, first of all, <clears throat> excuse me, the voice of the Holy Spirit is infinitely more powerful, exponentially more powerful than all three of the other voices combined. And so the, you know, the flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit wars against the flesh. Uh, we, we, we know that uh, Paul, Paul struggled himself with, uh, you know, I, what I want to do, I don't do what I, right. you know, and so forth. So we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, uh, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said. So the, the idea in the book, and by the way, uh, I think probably the, the most positive part of the book is besides having a better understanding of these voices and being able to, let's just say, parse them, at the end of each of these chapters, there are either yep. disciplines or habits or virtues that we can develop, that we can, you know, take, you know, the holy, here's what I have found. The Holy Spirit tends to do his best work when I do my best work. Hmm. Yeah. And so uh, the idea of putting in a little personal discipline here to go along with the, uh, the uh, availability of the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what can really change things. Uh, in the book, though, uh, I'm, uh, the main thing is how do you turn on the Holy Spirit? Yeah. 
And that's what I have two chapters on the Holy Spirit to help really help turn on the Holy Spirit. Can I tell a story? Sure. Yeah. So when I uh, brought my first Harley home, I was all excited to get home, uh, get up early the next morning and take it out for a ride, and it wouldn't turn on. So <laughs> I tried everything. I checked, you know, the 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 gas. Uh, I jiggled the it, an ignition. I even took off the battery cables and put them back on. Nothing. So <laughs> basically, what was going to be this great pleasure turned into this 650-pound paperweight uh, in my garage. I waited for the for the Harley dealership to open up, and I called them and I said, "Hey, this thing." I was fuming, you know. I was yeah. I had reached the boiling point, and I said, "I don't want this motorcycle anymore. It doesn't work. Come and get it." <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, customer service rep was remained calm and said, "Well, uh, let me. Can I ask you a couple questions?" I said, "Okay," <laughs> and he said, uh, "Did you?" Uh, you know, did you turn on the ignition switch? Well, of course I turned on the ignition switch. Okay. Did you make sure there's fuel in the bike? I said, yes. Did you make sure the fuel cock was open? Yes, I did that. Are the battery cables connected? Yes. Uh, did you check the little switch on the handlebars for turning on the ignition? I said, switch on the handlebars to turn on the ignition. What are you talking about? <laughs> So I, I did not have yeah. everything I needed to turn the motorcycle on. And I fear that a lot of guys uh, do, they, they have the Holy Spirit, but they really haven't figured out how to really turn him on. And so that's what we want to do in these chapters. So give me a, a quick <clears throat> practical example. What does it look like for a guy to turn on that Holy Spirit switch? I mean, when you, when you get to the end of that chapter, what's the one of the practical applications that they're going to find to uh, to help them with that process. Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, we have the been given the the uh, the armor of yep. God that we can put on to you know, take a take our stand against the devil's schemes and so forth. But asking for help is probably one of the most practical things in that chapter. Asking for help. Yeah. There was a, a father uh, who was out with his son working in the yard. The, he, the father had asked the boy to go over into the corner of the yard and to remove some boulders, some large rocks. One of them was a little too big, and the boy had strained to get this boulder out. And the father had been watching the young man strain to get out this large boulder, and he couldn't do it. And finally, the boy came over and said to his dad, he said, Dad, I... I just can't do it. I just can't get this boulder out. And the father said, well, did you use all of the energy and all of your strength to get it out? He said, yeah, dad, I, I used every bit of energy I had. He said, no, you didn't. You didn't ask me to help. Yeah. And then the father went over with the son and together they easily pulled the boulder out. So uh, just the simple process of asking and how to ask the Holy Spirit for help, that's one of the big things we talk about in that chapter. Yeah. I, I'm going to chase a rabbit here for a little bit with you, and I think yeah. you might. Uh, I like rabbits. Yeah. So as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about Job. You mentioned earlier that God couldn't touch, or the devil can't touch us unless 
God allows it. And so we know from the very beginning of Job that that um, that Job was allowed to to torment. I mean, the devil was allowed to torment Job in some very controlled and specific ways. Um, and so we see Job's wife tell him, just curse God and die. This is so bad. Just, just curse God and get this over with. Then he has these two sets of friends who show up who bring their wisdom that was not very helpful at all. But then God shows up and, and speaks to Job. So, um, and he reveals himself. Now I've compressed 30 some chapters very quickly there, but I'm, I'm curious about how difficult is it for us as men? We think about the value of being in relationship, but not every relationship that we're in is going to bring us wisdom from God. Um, we're going to get some bad advice sometimes. We're going to get, you know, the, the, the devil may use some of these people in our lives to tell us wrong things. So how did what can we learn from Job about how he heard the right voice ultimately and how he walked through that process? I may be throwing you a complete curveball here. I don't know, That's but it's, it's part love, of what thinks, comes to mind in, in wrestling with this. Yeah, no, I love Job. Yeah, I think the key verse for me in that book is he, uh, when, he when his wife was uh, you know, saying that you should curse God and die, I, he, he goes on to to say, though he slay me, yeah. though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Joseph, uh, Job was picked out uh, as an example to write about because of his unwavering integrity. He is the, our model of integrity. Yeah. There are others as well, like Joseph and so forth. But he is, above all, a man of integrity. There was a one-to-one -one correlation between his Bible, what he and, mm -hmm. and what he believed, and then his behavior, they all lined up. So, when the devil, uh, and, and by the way, this is one of the more theologically difficult things to um, understand this, yeah. this text, because we are being what's being written about is a a, a, a scene. That's taking place in the in the council of God Himself with the devil there. I mean, honestly, there's no way we can really get our minds around yeah. that. Yeah. <clears throat> but we can understand what's being said pretty clearly, and that was is that uh, the, and the takeaway I think is that God can't uh, touch you mm -hmm. unless God gives permission. First uh, John four four says, "Greater is He who is in you mm -hmm. than He who is in the world." Referring to the to the uh, evil one. So, um, did I, I? I don't even know if I if I remember the question or if I really <laughs> had the question. <laughs> well, I mean, how do we tie this to this whole scenario? Because it yeah. it, it really Job had some people, some friends that showed up, his wife and some others that were giving him bad counsel. And so how do we guard ourselves against that and make sure that we're hearing from the Holy Spirit and the way that he speaks to us, we discern and, and get it clearly? How do we discern that we're hearing from the right voice? Well, for the, for the guys on this call, I think one of the most important things is uh, a statement that I made in a, in a previous book that I think you and I talked about, The Christian Man, 
uh, a Bible, a small group, and serving someone else will solve 90% of your problems. Yeah. So in terms of getting on top of uh, these other voices uh, and, and really allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us, I do think that being in the word for yourself, so you can read these scriptures. I've used a few scriptures during the call this day. Yeah. I'm using them from memory. Uh, I think memorizing scripture is a fantastic way to go. If you're not good at memory, uh, reading it is also good. Did you know that 80% of the world are oral communicators? 80%? That's incredible. Yeah. And so uh, how do they get the word? Well, they, they're they in the in the habit of remembering it because remember, they, yeah, they have period. to remember. Yeah. So memory's good. <clears throat> then in terms of being in a, in a small group with some other guys where you've given them permission to speak into your lives, to ask how you are doing, how you're really doing. I think this is very powerful. Being involved in a local church, you know, the uh, church attendance is down uh, over 20 points in the last 20 years. Uh, although I don't get too exercised about that. I don't think God is up in heaven sitting on his throne saying, oops, I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. You know, God is sovereignly orchestrating all human events to bring us in the right relationship with him and right relationship with each other. So God's got this. I'm not worried about it. You know, the fate of the world doesn't depend on Mike and Pat, okay? Or is it Pat and Mike? Anyway, <laughs> hey, if we had a show, would it be Mike and Pat or would it be Pat and Mike? <laughs> Clearly you would come first. No, uh, no, no, definitely not. Uh, so anyway, yeah, but uh, just the idea of um, being involved with other guys, being involved in the church, giving people permission to speak into your lives, being transparent. These are powerful things that we can do. Yeah, and so, so this book is could be part of that process because it gives guys something specific maybe to talk about in a small group because, man, I could... I, I meet with a group of guys on Friday morning and I know we're all wrestling with these, with these voices and these yeah. noises in our heads all the time. So this would be a great thing for us, uh, yeah. a great resource for us to sit down with, with our Bibles and with the wisdom that you've been able to, to pull from the word and, um, and life about these voices. So what, what would it look like if a group of guys were to do this as a small group, how would that, how would you envision someone using this resource? Um, you, you can speak about for yourself, but I think that's fairly explanatory. But how could someone use this in the context of a small group and be blessed and, and benefited by it? Yeah, well, that's the briar patch for me. Don't throw me in there, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, every book I've ever written has been written in such a way that it can be read by individuals, but also can be used as a small group resource. Yeah. And so the four voices, each chapter has three reflection and discussion questions at the end. The format is always the same. There's a reflection question to uh, get the conversation started, a, a knowledge question based on texts usually. And then third is application question. Yeah. You know, how can you turn this into some news that you can use, you know, that- right. And uh, I would say that the real benefit of the book is not so much what's in it, but the conversations that it can start among the men. Ooh, did I just say that as the author? Ooh, I <laughs> wait, I said that. 
But anyway, uh, and then there is a discussion leader's guide at the end. So if guys are not already in a group, if they're in a group, of course, they could just use it. But if they're not already in a group, there's a discussion leader's guide at the back to help you start one. Yeah, excellent. Well, that's that's part of what I know about all your resources, Pat, that it is the, the, the book and the research that you put into it are critical. And I know even your your Friday morning Bible study, I mean, we'll put a link again to the the um, access to that Friday morning Bible study and in the podcast notes. But the real win is not reading the book or listening to Pat Morley teach about it. The real win is the conversation that is inspired by the reading or the listening, the um, and then the application of those truths and those concepts with under under the umbrella of biblical application. We don't we don't want to say that Patrick Morley is the ultimate source. God is the ultimate source. And so you're working as his servant to create some tools to help men engage the word in a healthy way. Fair? Absolutely. So the first thing I do when I teach, uh, I say, please open your Bibles too. Yeah. And I'm sending the signal that this is a, a, a Bible study. Right. Not a psychology class. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let- let me talk about, uh, just kind of shift this a little bit. Some of the guys who listen to this are pastors, men's ministry leaders. They're guys who are intentional about investing in other men. And uh, some years ago, Man in the Mirror developed a, a resource distribution strategy called Books by the Box. And so the big idea was to be able to put large volumes of resources in the hands of men for distribution in uh, community, through the church, whatever. So tell us a little bit more about the backstory of Books by the Box and how this particular resource is available along with others through that resource delivery strategy. Yes, and the last piece of that is at, uh, for cost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we have distributed, Mike, over, uh, over 10 million books in this program. It's called Books by the Box. People can get to the site, booksbythebox.org, or and go to maninthemirror.org, and there's a link there to it. And the idea is, um, so I, I heard it said that men don't read books. That's that's such a, such a falsehood. <laughs> uh, if you ever sit around in an airport lobby area waiting for a plane, Uh, You know, guys all over the place reading books. I think what really is true is guys are not reading books that are not interesting to them. So they might not be reading the book that you want them to read. So, um, but here's what I've discovered. And you were talking about it before we went on the air. uh, And I've seen this play out over and over and over again. Yeah. So a, uh, a man will get hold of a book and then God will use the book to get hold of the man. And how do they, how does the man get a hold of the book? Well, here is a truth. Most men are not going on to Amazon or into a bookstore to look for books. Right. So most guys are reading books because somebody recommended it to them and probably gave them a copy of the book and said, here, I think you'd like to, I think you might enjoy this. So what we wanted to do is uh, the, the thought that occurred was, can we distribute these books based on personal relationships? Yeah. So what we started doing is 
packaging the books up in cases of 48 and now 12 and 48. And so you can buy, guys can buy a case of 48 copies of this book for, I think, I think it's $79, 79, so less than $2 less a than $2 book. $2 a book. Yeah. yeah. $1.85 a book. So you're getting very, very much close to cost, plus shipping, of course. <clears throat> and then uh, to can be distributed in small groups. It can be distributed uh, in churches on Father's Day. That's a big push uh, every year for us, but throughout the year as well. Just uh, And then just encouraging guys to uh, take uh, a look. And see, uh, Christian literature changes men's lives. I, I, you know, the gospel changes men's lives. Right. But, but here's what I, people say sometimes, well, um, do you um, believe in Christian literature because you write books? And I say, no, I, I believe, uh, uh, I don't write, I, what am I trying to say? I don't believe in Christian literature because I write books. I write books because I believe in Christian literature. There you go. Yeah. yeah. The, the power of it over time to really transform men's life. Because a guy, it's kind of like a personal experience with a guy. He gets the book and, and he and I spend these hours together and I'm showing him things and asking him to think about things and seeing where he wants to go. And basically it's a, it's a personal relationship that develops. Absolutely. And I, I would just say to guys who are listening, guys, one of my favorite questions to ask fellows who are investing in men is what is your favorite resource to give away to other guys? And I think we all ought to have a go-to. And I, I see when I go to the box books by the box website, man in the mirror is, is still available by the case. And so guys, I think if you are, if God has called you in some way and impressed upon you, the responsibility to invest in other men, you ought to have some resources. Hey, 75, 80, 90, 100 bucks, buy a case of books and have them ready to give to someone and say, hey, I've got a gift for you. I'd like to encourage you to read this, to engage it. Um, I would also say, have a Bible with you. Be willing to give away a Bible from time to time and bless a guy. You should have resources at the ready so you can pull them out, hand them off to a guy, cheer for him, because sometimes a gift like that, a guy will go home and flip through it, read it. As a matter of fact, I gave a guy um, a book this morning, and uh, and I and I'll tell you the story here. It was more than a carpenter. A guy is looking to share the gospel with someone, and I I told him how I do it. I, I said, give him this book. Um, don't don't encourage him to read the whole thing because that may be intimidating. But read chapter three, liar, lunatic, or Lord. And, and say, would you read these 11 pages and let's have a conversation? I mean, you can hook guys like crazy if you'll give them a very digestible challenge and then meet them for a follow-up conversation. And, and I would say chapter one of this book, The Four Voices, could be a similar type of hook. You may find someone who you know is wrestling through some challenges in life, say, hey, friend, I'm going to give you this book. Um, I would love for you to read chapter one and let's get together and have coffee next Thursday and have a conversation about your reaction to what you read in these pages. How's that for a strategy, Pat? I like it. Chapter one's called What's Going On Inside Your Head. 
<laughs> Boy, there may be some folks who find some things there that. Uh, I think uh, that's a pretty sticky title myself. Yeah, I like it. I like it. The lots could go on there. So, um, well, I'm going to I'm gonna bring this to a close. But guys, we will have links to, uh, to this book, to Books by the Box, to uh, the Man in the Mirror website, and to the last podcast that we did with Pat that uh, you may have missed or want to go back and, and listen to. Um, and Pat, I want to... I want to ask you one final question. Um, there are a number of pastors that listen to this, this podcast, and you wrote a book that I've given away many times to pastors called Pastoring Men. Yeah. You just mentioned that Father's Day is coming up, and uh, boy, pastors get a hard rap sometimes around Father's Day because they just aren't sure how to deal with this. And I, I realize, again, I'm coming at you with a curveball, but what what comment would you have for a pastor about how to leverage Father's Day as a time to build men up instead of beating men up? I, 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 so many guys feel like they have to come to church on Father's Day and, and um, feel less well about themselves than they did when they walked through the door. So what advice to the pastors who might be listening about how to, how to win with their men on Father's Day? Yeah. So first of all, uh, I love pastors. I, I would be still building real estate buildings that let's face it, nobody really wants to pay the fair rent for anyway. So <laughs> if it weren't for pastors, because pastors, <clears throat> when the man in the mirror book came out, nobody wanted it. The yeah. pastors uh, accepted free copies of the book. 7,000 pastors accepted a free copy of the book, read it, and then started uh, giving it to their men quoting it from the pulpit, taking their leader or, or elder uh, deacon groups through it. And, uh, and then that's the, the reason the book caught on. And, and frankly, that's the reason that I'm in ministry today, uh, 30 years later, because of pastors. So I love pastors. <clears throat> and uh, I think you put the, 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 the answer in, was in your question, really. And that is just simply it's it's honoring men instead of beating them up for not being more uh, godly and so forth. Honor them for the sacrifices they've made to uh, earn the uh, money to clothe and feed and house their, their families and acknowledge the hard work they do. Uh, encouragement is the food of the heart and every heart is a hungry heart and every man that's a father. He'll be sitting in that audience or in that uh, congregation, rather on the on the on Father's Day or online, as the case may be. He has a hungry heart and he needs to be encouraged. Uh, again, that's another reason why we do the books by the box. We our yeah. launch is usually on Father's Day, because uh, then churches can bless their men by giving them a resource that might might help them in their in their walk to be a be more of the man that they, for the most part, they all want to be. Now, I'm sure there's some guys sitting there that, that are, uh, you know, they're part of the harvest, but not ready to be harvested yet. Okay. Yep. But I think most guys that, that uh, do respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and reach out and uh, for that front door handle and open that door and walk in. They're, they're there for all the right reasons. Yeah. So let's uh, just bless them. And I think this is what most pastors, uh, well, I've never met a pastor who, who didn't want to do the right thing by his men. A lot of times it's just a question of uh, having somebody suggest a little idea like this that maybe they hadn't thought about lately. Yeah, 
Excellent. Well, guys, again, these uh, this book, The Four Voices, Taking Control of the Conversation in Your Head, is available. Uh, you can get single copies, but you can also buy a, a box of 12 or a case of 48 through Books by the Box. So we'll give you those links. Uh, this would be an excellent way for you to bless your men on Father's Day. Um, or if you're one of those faithful guys who just loves to invest in men, hey, grab some and keep them in your car. Keep an extra copy in your briefcase. Um, find some resource like this one, if it's not this one, um, and make sure you're encouraging and blessing men with, uh, with resources. So, Pat, again, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for the work that you continue to do. Man, you, are, uh, you continue to take the high ground for the kingdom of God as, as a Caleb. And I am so thankful for that and, uh, and just blessed by your ongoing ministry. So thanks for being with us again. Any final comment? And then we'll shut it down. Well, <clears throat> well, first of all, thank you for having me, Mike. Why don't you just let me say a prayer blessing over yep. the minute? <clears throat> Our dearest Father, we come to you humbly in prayer. We worship you and give you the praise, glory, and honor that you alone are worthy to receive. Lord, because of the desire of the men listening to this podcast, what kind of man would listen to this podcast, Lord? It's a man who is faithful or wants to be faithful or wants to want to be faithful. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless each of them with a great abundance in every area Amen. of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, Pat, thank you for joining us for episode 56 of the Nobleman Podcast. We'll be back again next week with uh, episode 57. We'll look forward to being with you then. God bless you, man.